Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. children made its unauspicious debut on station WQED in Pittsburgh. Its host, Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers? Yeah. I want to tell you something. What would you like to tell? I like you. I like you, my dear. Thank you very much for telling me that. You take all of the elements that make good television and do the exact opposite. You have Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Low production values, simple set, unlikely star. Yet, it worked. I've always felt that I didn't need to put on a funny hat or jump through the hoop to have a relationship with a child. He was always trying to get a message across in every show. A week on death. What does assassination mean? On divorce. Some people get married and after a while they're so unhappy that they don't want to be married anymore. He was radical. I know everyone says that, but he was radical. They didn't want black people to come and swim in their swimming pools. By being on the program, was a statement for Fred. A neighborhood was a place where, at times, that you felt worried, scared, unsafe, would take care of you. He had a singular vision of kindness and love. Love is at the root of everything. All learning, all relationships, love or the lack of it. Children have very deep feelings, just the way everybody does. There must be times when you do feel blue. I'm not feeling blue right now, though. Me neither. <laughs> Won't you be my neighbor? Well, I suppose it's an invitation. It's an invitation for somebody to be close to you. The greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. Won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo, and today I'm joined by... Actually, both of them, both co-hosts are back today. It's been far too long. It has been probably six months, I would say, or three, at least three. Um, 
Today we're going to be doing episode 85. We're doing a little bit something different than what we normally do. This is the first time we will ever or have ever covered a documentary on the podcast. And we usually do uh, movies that are 20 years or older. But there's this one documentary that stood out to all of us. And it came out in 2018. And it's the documentary on Fred Rogers' life called Won't You Be My Neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, what a great man. Uh what an advocate for children. Um, so we thought we'd just do a little bit of something different. It was directed by Morgan Neville. Um, there's not going to be a lot of cinematography stuff. There's not going to be a lot of this stuff in here. So what we figured we would do is run like a biography of his life, kind of. We got all kinds of different notes and everything. So I'm going to start off, and it'll probably go to Terrence, then Kyle, and then probably back to me. So Yeah, a little more freeform of the lines of just Yeah, like, kind just, of just chit-chat around the campfire. Just fanning out about how much we actually really liked Mr. Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of all it is. And if Kyle breaks out in song anywhere in here, just bear with him. He's recovering. So mm-hmm. uh, Fred McFeely... Uh, Rogers. Uh, he was born on March 20, 1928, and he died February 27, 2003. He was also known as Mr. Rogers. He was an American television host, author, producer, and Presbyterian minister. He was the creator, showrunner, and host of the preschool television series Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which ran from 1968, which was a little bit before I was born, to 2001, a little bit when Kyle was born. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, He spanned all generations, so... Um, Four years worth, yeah, basically. Right. Or thirty-five yeah. years worth, roughly. His show, Mister no. Rogers' Neighborhood, ran for thirty-three years. Thirty-three years. Uh, the program was clinically acclaimed for focusing on children's emotional and physical concerns, such as death, sibling rivalry, school enrollment, and divorce. Um, sadly, Rogers died of stomach cancer on February twenty-seven, two thousand three, at the age of seventy-four. His work in children's television had been widely lauded, and he received more than 40 honorary degrees and several awards, including the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2002 and a Lifetime Achievement Emmy in 1997. He was elected to the Television Hall of Fame in 1999. Rogers influenced many writers and producers of children's shows, which I think Kyle has in his notes later, uh, some more recent television shows. And his broadcast has served as a source of comfort during tragic events, even uh, after his death. Uh, so I believe Terrence has some of the awards that he won over his life or recognitions that he won over his life if he'd like to do some I of those. do. Um, there's, there's actually a couple things I wanted to touch on, uh, just like, you know, on, uh, outside of just Mr. Rogers himself, uh, as far as this documentary goes. Um, so the, the, uh, director for this documentary was, um, Morgan Neville and, uh, looking into him was very interesting cause you know, it wasn't a director I was familiar with by name. And so I, I looked into his background, and uh, he is a director who almost exclusively does documentaries. Mm. Um, like, oh uh, yeah, like um, the best of enemies. Yeah, he's done best yeah. of enemies. He did this. He did uh, Twenty Feet from Stardom. He did uh, uh, music of what was that? Uh, music of strangers. <laughs> great documentary. Here's the thing: I'm really Life tired. Changing. So like, the music like of really Terrence. Blurred. The music of me. Uh, uh, the next thing you eat, uh, watch the sound, so on and so forth. Uh, but just just all kinds of uh, this interesting looking dining dinner I haven't heard of, but the cover is interesting. It's called Ugly Delicious about food. Um, <laughs> so no, yeah. I just I thought I thought it was interesting that uh, you know this particular director tackled this, and I, I think because he was so well equipped that this you know documentary was just really well done. Yeah, he's first and foremost a documentarian and not like an exclusive filmmaker. Yeah, exactly. You know, he doesn't have narrative films, but he still has a, a way of piecing together interviews to create something um, exceptional. 
And uh, the other documentaries that he just directed to, I've seen a couple of them. They're all, I think, I think his work is uh, uh, good, even outside of this Miss Rogers documentary right here. The Best of Enemies, particularly, was uh, pretty impressive. And what's that about? Um, that's about um, basically um, two political sp- um, spokespersons, um, versus in like the, I believe the 70s to 80s around there. Uh, one on the far left and the other on the far right, and then having continual arguments and debates with themselves and um, basically going through their entire lives. Mm. Um, pretty interesting, although I don't think both those people were insufferable in real life. <laughs> the documentary's good. <laughs> uh, and, and another interesting thing I found, I found about the documentary is like different documentaries have certain formats and uh, different things. Like some of them uh, kind of only tell you from one viewpoint or perspective, try to push a certain narrative. Um, or try to paint things in one light, but you know, not another. Where I, I think what's interesting about this was you did get all aspects and sort of uh, viewpoints of uh, Rogers. You know, it wasn't just yeah. everybody speaking like you know he's like the best dude ever. And don't get me wrong, he's a great guy. Uh, but they also spoke on some of the parts of like you know. Uh, there was things that he needed to work on, and he knew that, and then he did, and he became a better person because of it. And he con- you can see him constantly grow as you look through the documentary and him starting the show and going through and some of the struggles he did, some of the viewpoints he had, and then, you know, slowly, like, embracing the people around him and then, you know, being able to see things differently. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I-, I thought that was really unique and interesting, that it's, it's not trying to just push one side of things. It didn't sugarcoat it. Yeah, it didn't sugarcoat it. It, it didn't yeah. sugarcoat it. And also, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's, you know, there are other documentarians who, like, maybe try and skew a respectable degree, which can work sometimes, and I can respect yeah. that, but um, Morgan Neville does a great job, simply in this documentary, of um, divorcing his own opinions or, like, trying to skew any particular perspective of Mr. Rogers. Instead, just letting the interviews play out and kind of letting you get your own kind of perspective of Mr. Rogers from them. But something um, you can tell from this is every person they interviewed had a perspective on Mr. Rogers. Yeah. And every single one of them didn't have a bad thing to say about him. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, almost like universally glowing and to the point where it's like also like get to a degree uh i think he was mysterious to everyone to a degree you know like there was, yeah. there was definitely like you know like um i even his sons and his friends were just like i you know sometimes i wondered what made him tick mm-hmm. um there's like direct quotes like that in the movie um and so it, it kind of like it, it doesn't it doesn't shy away from that mystery of saying like yeah, there was some stuff you just kind of didn't really know about way mr rogers kind of saw the world but also there were things that like you know he had a temper or things like that where it's like he had his own personal struggles he was still a human being so they um did a great job of like conveying all of those aspects of fred rogers life while still um not like putting out some kind of other like you know uh completely out of right field out of right field perspective where it's like oh no he was secretly a murderer like no he's fine <laughs> he's, he's a good guy so uh, really impressive uh, exactly work uh, from Morgan Neville there and and the biggest thing was I, I found that um everybody that was around him just found just being part of his life very rewarding and speaking mm-hmm. of awards I have some awards <laughs> what a segue oh, <laughs> man. this guy's been gone for a while look at him coming up with a segue of segues uh so I I, I there's a lot, um, and then th- there's some of them are more acolytes than you know uh, awards themselves. Um, but I-, I pulled some of the more interesting ones. Some of them just because they sound interesting, and other ones because they're just interesting awards uh, to receive, and it just shows how like renowned he was um, in a good way. So in like 1994, he received the. Oh, 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 that's the second page. 1970, we're going in order here. Uh, 1970, we got the Outstanding Rollins uh, Alumnum uh, of 1970, uh, given by Rollins College. 1978, he got the Distinguished Alumnus Award. Man, 
just back in form of just butchering all the words. Uh, given by Pittsburgh. It's uh, about the count. Theological Mr. Rogers Seminary. Loves you, <laughs> 1978 uh, and 1977 Lay Leader Award given by the Three Rikers Chapter University Pittsburgh Phi Delta Kappa Fraternity, uh, which is interesting. Uh, 1981 Distinguished Communications Recognition Award awarded at the 12th National Abe Lincoln Awards Banquet for his work uh, in children's television. In 1982, Media Awards given as part of the third annual Governor's Award in the Arts. Uh, Then we have the 1986 and 1987 uh, CINE Golden Eagle Award. Uh, The first one in 1986 was awarded for a Rogers Educational Special of Children, uh, Let's Talk About Going to the Doctor. And then again in 1987, he was awarded for um, his educational special, Mr. Rogers Talks with Children, about saying goodbye to friends. And so overall, uh, uh, there's a lot of those where it just highlights uh, different topics that he's gone upon. Um, And then we have some more direct awards. So you have like... uh, Oh, uh, this one I just chose because it's funny. Uh, Peabody Award, <laughs> 1992, awarded in recognition of 25 years, uh-huh. beautiful days in the neighborhood. Um, I just thought the word Peabody was funny. Uh, Who doesn't? Who doesn't? <laughs> We're all wait, wait till you wait till you watch uh, watch the Rocky Bowling Show and Peabody, <laughs> Mr. Herman. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, then we have the. Presidential Distinguished Service Medal, 1994, given by Colgate Rochester uh, Divinity School. Uh, Rogers spoke at the commencement, or yeah, uh, commencement for the school's uh, Brexley Hall. Co- Man, they're just throwing all the words I can't say. Uh, Theological Seminary on the date of receipt. Uh, the award is the school's equivalent of an honorary degree. So that's really cool. Uh, Couple more things highlighting his awesomeness. Uh, 1998 Hollywood Walk of Fame star was is located at uh, 6600 Hollywood. Now Boy that would be really cool to go get that Maybe picture with that. Yeah, we need. Never going road trip. Oh yeah, no, really. <laughs> road trip. I've been to California once. <laughs> I've been there for a long time, and I've never been there because I just stay out of the city. I, I totally understand that. Uh, if you live there, I'm sure you never want to go there. 1999, Television Hall of Fame inductee uh, for appearing during the ceremony as a surprise guest. Uh, but, but, but 2001, the Fred Rogers Award, presented by the Corporation of Public Broadcasting. Rogers was the first recipient of this award. Mm. Do they keep it going? Has it been kept going? I have no idea. Not, much, into, not, not much in our award notes here. <laughs> Presumably, I have heard of none assume. of these awards. These are these are a little different than the awards we usually do. Right. Obviously, we usually because this do is all focused on a person. Film awards. Yeah. Th- these are more like person awards. So, and, but great, uh, you come across a person like Mister Rogers, you're like, we got to make awards for this guy. We like, we just nothing else is adequate. <laughs> and mostly because, as we said before, this is a documentary. Yeah. I, I got I got nothing with the movie, so uh, we're just. We're diving in the Rogers. And yeah, stuff. yeah. We're uh, we're out of our whatever depths. <laughs> way out of our depths here. We just want to say we like things. <laughs> I'm sure we're stepping in somebody else's territory. It's okay. We'll be yeah, out yeah, soon. Like, 2001. Fred Rogers. We'll get Award. off our toes soon enough. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. So I'm pretty sure the Fred Rogers Award's still going. It has to be. There's got to be other wholesome content to put in there. Maybe it's not. Like his sons get the Fred Rogers Award. <laughs> 
All right, so in uh, 2002, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest American civil honor awarded by President George W. Bush. W. 2002, the Commonwealth Award, given by the PNC Financial Services, celebrating the best of human achievement. And then the last two I got here is in 2006, Television Hall of Fame inductee, Awarded by the Online Film and Television Association. We're familiar with that one. Uh, in 2010, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Well deserved. Absolutely. And in 2008, uh, Sweater Day was made a thing. Uh, tribute, <laughs> <Sweater> to, <laughs> <laughs> tribute to Rogers on uh, what would have been his 80th birthday, March 20th, by FCI. Uh, people all over the world were encouraged to wear a sweater honor- honoring Rogers' legacy and the final event in a six-day celebration in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a little uh, bit about a... Oh, you got something? Yeah, 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 yeah. And just like keeping a little bit of our basic format a little bit. I can do a little bit of a cast thing. Obviously, it's going to give me like related to like, all the other movies I've almost into because like, these characters like... Mr. Rogers characters, you know, but of course we have Fred Rogers. Of course, you better have all the puppets from Make Believe Land. Exactly. Exactly. I'm mad. Kyle, Kyle, before you, Fred Rogers, of course, played. If we're doing it like our normal podcast, I'm going to throw a question out there. If you were a puppet in Make Believe Land of Mr. Rogers, who would you be? I mean, I want to be Tony. I want to be a tiger. Who would you want to be, Jimbo? Was it King Faraday? King King Friday. Friday. Yeah, the thirteenth. King Friday the thirteenth. You know, he named that puppet. Uh, King Friday the 13th, so children will be scared of Friday the 13th or whatever. That's I right. thought that was funny. That's magical. Genius. Yeah. But of course, anyways, we have Fred Rogers, of course, you know, Miss Rogers' Neighborhood. Then we have his wife, Joanne Rogers, who unfortunately just passed away earlier this year, Ashley. She did a really good job in the documentary, too. Oh, absolutely oh, yeah. lovely. And she had her little brief cameo in, uh, 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 what should we, uh, uh, what's the name of the Tom Hanks movie? Got him on top of my head. Just a second. <laughs> yeah, that's very vague. That's yeah. very vague. <laughs> she had a small cameo in the Tom Hanks movie. I forgot the name of that. Not, not want to be my neighbor. It's oh, no, the beautiful day in the neighborhood. Yeah. There we go. Yes, in the diner scene, she had a brief cameo in there. An absolutely lovely woman. Um, perfect, perfect. Um, his son John John Rogers in the movie as well for the interview for the doc for the for the interviews. Um, we also have Tom Janad, who was actually inspired for the uh, main character in the uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood uh, uh, movie. Then we also have his other son, James Bird, um, James Bird uh, Rogers, and then we have interviews with um, Francis Clemens, of course, Officer Clementine, Alfred Officer. Clemens. You know what? That was probably one of the the most intriguing parts of this whole documentary is where he broke the barrier, the racial barrier, by having him put his feet in the pool. Oh, uh, absolutely. With oh, with, yeah. with with a, a black man because. You, you know the censors were going crazy on that. You oh, know, yeah, and, yeah. And, and I just thought that was really touching. Absolutely. You know, uh, <laughs> Mr. Rogers is a very brave man, especially for that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> doing that. Yeah, but he's um, so nice. Who's going to come yeah. and say anything to him, right? right? We'll, we'll, we'll definitely speak more about it later. But, yeah, Francis Clements, Francis Clements, easily the easiest character who, like, you would expect to have a bad word about him, possibly, just because... Uh, you know, like you know, his you know, historically speaking, both gay men and black people, you know, historically always being mistreated. <laughs> so, like, have you like know, if if Miss Rogers were to mistreat anyone in this whole documentary, you would have expected to be Francis Clements. And did history, you catch that though in the documentary where Francis said, you know, at the end that it was towards the end of the thing where they he came back on the show and they did the pool scene again or whatever, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, did you hear me? Yeah, you know what I mean. And he's like, and the, and he, Francis breaks down and cries in the documentary because he. He he understood that while Mr. Rogers was trying to tell him now, there's like I understand you, it's okay, you know what I mean? Because 
Therefore, Wally's like, we can't put this on TV. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that that, that was part of what I was diving into before, which was that um, uh, sort of growth of him himself and just uh, just always like growing himself uh, and, and helping everybody along the way. And, uh, you know, who's to say what was going through his mind during any of this time? But in the end, you know, he, he deeply cared for his friend, and he accepted him, you know, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's another thing else I got away from, like, uh, Mitch Rogers a little bit. I, like, he, like, outside of being an entertainer, he was both a teacher and a learner, first and foremost, in his entire life, about learning about child development, how to treat people more nicely, and how to, about, you know, function as an adult and as a person. And there's just... That never stopped his entire life. He always grew um, in a way that um, a lot of other adults can sometimes uh, rest on their laurels a little too much sometimes. Um, Mr. Rogers, uh, Frank Rogers, always, like, learn more about children, learn more about adults, and learn more about being an incredible person because he's just that nice. <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, Francis Clemens definitely, like, probably one more uh, integral pieces of the documentary of, like, getting a perspective on Fred Rogers because uh, he just... He, he, you know, uh, being uh, just being an outcast by the curse of his own character. You know, like you know, he has a uh, a more interesting perspective on him than other people who might have. Um, then, of course, we have a uh, Betty Aberline. I believe I don't know if she was interviewed in the documentary, but I believe she was, of course, in the the past tense scenes and all those kind of things. Then we have David Newell, who plays um, uh, Mr. McFeely. And Yo-Yo Ma, of course, also um, terrific, you know, musical artist, and uh, also interviewed multiple times. I believe he works in the Miss Rogers Foundation um, now today too. I think a really interesting perspective that the uh, documentary shed light to was sort of the, you know, the guys working in the background, um, the cast and crew, the African yeah, game. the crew in yeah. particular, and pulling jokes on him too. Yeah, the butt picture is amazing. <laughs> I want that poster too. Who doesn't? And so you know, it was just you know seeing that like even the crew had fun, and uh, you know you know you have something good going on when when everybody's just. But I think one of the hardest parts of this documentary for me was. Is that Mr. Rogers wanted to change the world so much that you know he 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 hit it out of the park with the children, but then as he grew older, he wanted to try to move on to adults, uh, different shows in the adult world and all that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it didn't really vibrate, and he didn't understand why. Um, if you see that in the documentary where he's sitting on the beach, you know, just just sitting there watching the waves come in, you know, yeah. you could tell something was weighing on him. You know what I mean? And uh, but I think genuinely he just wanted to help kids. You know what I mean? Help them uh, with their fears and everything because you know he said. He was watching TV or whatever, and all that violence and everything. There, he's like, kids don't need to see this, you know. And then when he when he took the time to explain to him about, you know, that when Robert Kennedy was assassinated, you know, he he said that. And there's no what does assassination mean? You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah. he used those puppets to tell the kids it's okay to be scared sometimes if you don't know what's going on. You know what I mean? Just the way that yeah. he handled it was awesome. And, and the way uh, I've actually I've I've gone back like a lot of that stuff is kind of. Hard kind of hard to access necessarily a little bit but like all of the youtube shows have like a lot of youtube has like archived his uh footage when he was doing the adult shows basically and i think what he kind of come with what i see is i think he came to realize like all the lessons he was teaching to children so many of them are completely applicable to adults too so it's okay to just continue to focus on the children's sector of entertainment and, right. and teaching and then and uh, going back there was the more appropriate option what do you think terrence e- even off of that uh, i think just and, and this is just overall on the topic um uh but I, I i still think this has a lot to do with you know rogers himself is that he realized what a lot of people forget and sort of what we neglect as just a people in general, right? Like, it's always, like, 
the, the reason why the, the kids worked so well is because, you know, people want kids to, to learn. People care about kids, right? Everybody wants what's best for kids. Uh, and then you become a get an adult and no one cares. And so what I, and that's, that's what I, I love about Rogers is just, he always cared no matter what, mm-hmm. like it wasn't, it didn't matter young, old, you know, white, black, straight, gay, it didn't matter. It, he just, he cared. And, uh, you don't, you don't see that. So I, I think the reason why, you know, that, that show was not a hit is because, uh, no one cares. Overall, you know, what I mean, I'm obviously not to speak to anybody. It, it, it's a struggle for adults to admit they want yeah. to care for their adults. That's a whole that other thing of like their own emotions. You know, yeah, exactly. There, there are so many things about like the I'm sorry, Jim, like, but like also like just masculinity now and of the past definitely is always kind of like about closing off your emotions to a degree. Right. And uh, Mr. Rogers was definitely an example of another way of being a man and being in touch with your emotions and being open. That I think is still a bit of a struggle even today. Yeah. of trying to have that kind of care and openness for other people. Well, right. I mean, just that relationship okay. with I yourself. Let, no, I'm going to say this one last thing, then we'll get back to our notes or we'll be here forever. Um, I'm okay with that. The, 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 other, <laughs> well, the other part that that was really, uh, and I think if Fred would have saw it, he would have been heartbroken, is at his funeral. When oh, you yeah, had yeah. the... Uh, Westbrook at the church, I believe. Whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, God Picketing hates gays and all that. Fred was gay and all this. No, he wasn't. You know, he just cared about people. Yeah. Um, and we can talk into that later on, but mm. uh, we better get back into here real quick before, <laughs> you know, Terrence falls asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. I'm, I'm, there's... There is so much this documentary covered. I feel like I, myself, even with the notes in front of me, would not be able to articulate as well. No. So I will let you guys, and I'm just going to vamp here. So, like, I'm just going to keep going off on whatever oh, you guys say. Yeah, no, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, but, yeah. but what I did is I broke it down to early life. You're, you've got all about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And then he's got the later in life. Legacy stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, that's I, how we're going to break this down. Okay, so, okay. Uh, Kyle. Jimbo. If Kyle doesn't hammer. stop going on and on. So, um he was born to a very wealthy uh, dad uh, and his mom, Nancy, uh, James and Nancy Rogers. Uh, Nancy's father, Fred Books, uh, McFeely, who Rogers was named after, was an entrepreneur. Nancy, his mother, actually knitted sweaters for American soldiers from western Pennsylvania who were fighting in Europe and regularly volunteered at the Latrobe Hospital. Sadly, Mr. Rogers spent most of his time childhood alone playing with puppets and also spent time with his grandfather. He began to play the piano when he was five years old. Through an ancestor who immigrated from Germany to the U.S., Johannes Meffert, born in 1732, Rogers is the sixth cousin of American actor Tom Hanks, who portrays him in the film A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Rogers had a difficult childhood. He was shy, introverted, and overweight, and was frequently homebound uh, after suffering bouts of asthma, which I can relate to because I have asthma. Uh, he was bullied and taught as a child for his weight, which, again, I'm fat, uh, and called Fat Freddy. Mm-hmm. Um According to Morgan Neville, the director of this documentary, uh, Rogers had a lonely childhood. I think he made friends with himself as much as he could. He had a ventriloquist dummy. He had stuffed animals, and he would create his own worlds in his childhood bedroom. Uh, Rogers attended the Trope High School, where he overcame his shyness. It was tough for me at the beginning, Rogers told NPR in 1984. And then I made a couple of friends who found out that the core of me was okay. And one of them was the head of the football team. Uh, Roger served as president of the student council and a member of the National Honor Society and was editor-in-chief of the school yearbook. Um, Rogers went, wanted to go to seminary after college, but said he chose to go to the medium of television after encountering a TV at his parents' home in 1951 during his senior year at Rollins College. And in a CNN interview, he said, I went into television because I hated it so, and I thought there's some way of using this fabulous instrument to nurture those who would watch and listen. Mm-hmm. 
right. Um, <laughs> so basically, uh, some of the characters that was created uh, when he started the Children's Corner and the puppets was uh, Daniel uh, the Tiger. Daniel Shredder, uh, Tiger. Yeah. yeah. Uh, King Friday the 13th. Queen Sarah Saturday, uh, named after Roger's wife. Uh, X the Owl, Henrietta, and Lady Elaine in his later work. Uh, so Kyle, or Kyle, Terrence, if you want to go ahead and talk about Mr. Rogers, uh, the neighborhood, which we've all grew up with. So like I said, I'm going to skim because the document, just if you haven't watched the documentary, <laughs> watch the doc, it, it does such a good job in telling its story. It, it not only is it a documentary, but it gives those sort of intermittent sort of, uh, like animation snippets throughout the documentary that really like just adds like an emotional sort of weight to what they're talking about. Right. And it's, it's really cool like, like seeing the black and white photo, you yeah. know, the videos and all that and all that. It's good stuff. Right? Yeah, the early footage which is like, you know, I'm not sure it's difficult to get even today. I mean, there's a lot of stuff where I feel like I... I, I bet. I, I, I tried going back and finding old footage as much as I could and uh, surprisingly, it's probably difficult. I, I speaking of old here. footage, the first time Mr. Rogers was on camera was actually in 1963 in a Canadian broadcast uh, in Toronto. So, uh, they contracted him to develop and host a 15-minute black-and-white children's program, Mr. Rogers, and it lasted from 1963 to 1967, and uh, like I said, that was the first time he appeared on film. So, I, I, that was that's a really cool tidbit. Um, you know, we already know uh, he began airing nationally in uh, 1968. Uh, ran for 895 episodes. That's crazy. Uh, and and what, what I thought Take was fascinating <laughs> is... I know, right? Um, what I found fascinating is, you know, he had the archive himself of all the old episodes. Like, you see him open up the yeah. thing. <laughs> he, he had this so, large yeah. cupboard of, of all of the previous episodes. VHS and then like, he realized, yes. and, and it's something that they bring up in the documentary, is that he, he realized the value of those lessons and that uh, these... Are still worth teaching, and then so you know we started uh, uh, rebroadcasting those old episodes uh, to reteach those lessons, and uh, so that can reach new people and new ears and eyes. And yeah, very nowadays f- we call that keep that syndication to degree. Yeah, exactly mm-hmm. right. Uh, by the time the program ended production in December of 2000, uh, its average rating was about uh, 0.7% of television households. So that's about. 680,000 homes, uh, and it aired on 384 PBS stations uh, as its peak in 1985 and 1986. Its ratings were at a 2.1% or a 1.8 million homes. That's crazy. Uh, And just in general, it's, it's fascinating looking back and realizing how, like, a lot easier ratings were to... You know, calculate more or less, uh, right? Because you didn't have cable television, yeah, or all the things we have today, right? Including, like streaming, internet, cable, everything, everything like everything. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's a lot harder to um, sort of gauge success off of ratings. Um, uh, you know, and, and then also, you know, there's the pirate market too. <laughs> it's there, and some people use it to their advantage. Some people use it as a marketing tactic. And uh, uh, before I get too far from the topic, let's jump back to Mister yeah. Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> Rogers, the pirate. <laughs> um, so uh, by 2016, it was the third longest running program in PBS history. That's crazy. Which is fascinating. Yeah. 
and very impressive. <laughs> Absolutely impressive. Um, there's a lot going on in PBS. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, every week there's it's just it's it's impressive. Kind of like you know, the, it went in the documentary about his his doubt over the years of having that one note he found. Where it's like, can I really keep doing it? But um, you know, it's, it's amazing over you know thirty over thirty three years, he just continued to find ways of like things I want to tell kids, things I want to tell adults in this show and programming, and actually make some uh, viable lessons over that long time. Um, it's got to be a struggle to a degree. <laughs> yeah. No. And you got to learn a lot to be able to teach those kind of things, too. You know, for everything you got to teach, you got to learn ten times more, it feels like. So it's uh, impressive Steve Rogers to yeah, and, get and, this and done. Speaking yeah. of learning, I, th- I thought another thing that was fascinating is he, he came from, you know, sort of a musical background, too. Uh and so, actually, one of the awards uh, I didn't send, uh, and I don't, I don't feel like finding it. But one of the awards was actually an award from uh, finding success uh, from a musical background, finding a success in entertainment with a musical background. Um, yeah, I would say that's also like one of the um, aspects that, like, maybe the um, documentary skipped over just a little bit yeah. was the fact that, like. Um, it, the Miss Rogers Neighborhood was actually a very uh, musically complex show and Absolutely. very impressive. He wrote all those songs. Somebody, one of you, has the uh, how many actually songs he wrote on there. He did all the directing. He did all that stuff. It was all him. Wrote the wrote the script and everything. And he was there every single. And that's away. why he was so intimate with the cast and crew is right. because he. Worked with everyone, yeah. but also they had so many musical guests come on the show and demonstrate their music, even on the adult programs oh, yeah. like that. Like there were so many aspects. Like he I was, mean, he, an, he was an avid fan of musicians and all of their complexity, and really impressive throughout the production of the entire series. And even right. one of the more yeah. common uh, people you see throughout the documentary was musician Yo-Yo himself. Ma. He was yeah. uh, uh, violinist or Yogo Ma, uh, pianist and violinist. Yeah. Um, and so he, he he was able to appreciate uh, his work, and he, they they touch on that a little bit on um, how they would have deep conversations just about about music yeah. theory. Um, yeah. So you know, documentary doesn't miss it, but I feel like they you know they could have been a bigger part. Yeah, they they definitely it's a only, ten hour show. <laughs> they, they definitely like skimmed the surface <laughs> uh, uh, of his musical background, but uh, a lot of his musical talent. Uh, was in this, and that's also why I think he appreciated other people with musical backgrounds. Um, for example, uh, Clemens had a musical background. Remember, there's the part in the documentary, he's like, hey, as long as I can sing, you can sing. Cool. <laughs> so, uh, and he always, he always made sure that, uh, you know, he could sing, uh, uh, you know, in whatever part he had in, in uh, the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I will join your show, as long as it does not mess <laughs> my music career. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Officer Clemens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, and so, uh, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood emphasized on young children's social and emotional needs, as we know. Uh, and unlike the other PBS show, Sesame Street, uh, which premiered in 1969, uh, it did not focus on cognitive learning. Um, so, writer Kathy Murlock Jackson said, while both shows targeted the same preschool audience and uh, prepare children for kindergarten, Sesame Street concentrates on school readiness skills, while Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood focuses on a child's developing psyche and feelings and sense of moral and ethic, ethnical reasoning. So it's it's really fascinating to have both of those in tandem reach two completely different avenues. And they used to come on right after the other. Exactly. <laughs> you watch Sesame Street, they go right into Mr. Rogers. Yeah. And, and I think that worked out great. 
No. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, still love I Sesame Street. I watched them both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> still love Sesame Street and I will, and they still have a mutual appreciation for each other, but it's definitely interesting to see yeah, how they've um, you know diverted to a degree over the years, but um, still um, both incredibly valuable overall. Yeah. And we'll then, wait till we do the Sesame Street documentary. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? We'll, 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 we'll talk about that. Uh, we already went over sort of the hard-hitting topics that he would talk about. Um, and then, yeah, just to reiterate, it's it's not even something that you you don't even really see it now. Like, just tackled so well to explain to children topics that, you know, parents could sometimes be afraid to talk to their kids about. Mm-hmm. Uh and the the way he did it was always so very tactful and understanding of not only the topic itself, but a, a children's feelings towards that topic or what they could be. And he would explain it in ways they can understand. Well, speaking of that, I think one of the most touching parts of this documentary was the, the kid in the wheelchair. Remember when Mr. Rogers oh, yeah, brings absolutely. him out here? He asked him to come. And Mr. Rogers actually steps outside of his house or whatever the neighborhood. And he talks to the guy and the kid, or the kid, and the kid tells him what's going on and everything. And that kid, they surprised Mr. Rogers at one of his awards in the documentary. Remember, I think oh, it was yeah, Lifetime right Achievement, where he came end, and presented yeah. it to him. And I believe he was at his funeral too. So, um, if you haven't seen this documentary, it's it's really really good. Mandatory viewing if you want to listen to this podcast. I'm going to say it right now. He's not just this episode. Like, you got to watch this documentary because it's amazing. Just, I thought you meant all 897 episodes <laughs> of Mr. Rogers. That too. Why not? Just add it on. You got to be a Mr. Rogers fan. You have to be. I, 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 if you're not a Mr. Rogers fan, I don't like you. So, wow. <laughs> we don't like you either. No, Even though Mr. Rogers <laughs> likes you, I don't know if I can go that far if you don't like Mr. Rogers. So, Kyle, you want to dive into some of his personal life? So, yeah. I, I, oh, wait. I Kyle's, I did, uh, I want to else. dive in real quick. Uh, I do have a blurb on the musical uh, aspect of it that we were talking about earlier. I did find that little tidbit we were talking about. And I did want to read this one in full just because, uh, like we were all saying, it doesn't really dive into how musically involved he was uh, in the show. Um, and in general, just with music. So uh, Rogers wrote and edited all the episodes, played the piano, sang for most of the songs... And wrote 200 songs and 13 operas, created all characters, both puppet and human, played from major uh, puppet roles, hosted every episode, and produced and approved every detail of the program. Uh, The puppets puppets created for the neighborhood of make-believe included an extraordinary variety of personalities. Uh, They were simple puppets, but complex and complicated and utterly honest beings. So, you know, it was... All this was created from Mr. Rogers' mind, which is fascinating. Um, in 1971, Rogers formed the Family, Family Communications Incorporated, FCI, and now the Fred Rogers Company to produce the, the neighborhood's other programs and non-broadcast materials. And there's actually, uh, seems like you have an audio tidbit. Right. We can well, this there. is did you the, wanna... no. Well, this is it right here. Um, in the documentary, you will see. I believe it was Richard Nixon was set to cut the funding to PBS. Yes. And they oh, yeah, brought Mister Rogers in to Congress to testify. I, I think I think it was the, the senator from. If you want to read that little tidbit right there, U.S. Senate. Yeah. Yeah. Just let me know, and I'm going to put this audio in right here. So just I'll have to look and see, and I'm going to put that audio in. Yeah, it's like so... a Disney film in short motion. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> The final original episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood aired on August 31st, 2001. That's just the last tidbit. Uh, but in 
1969, Rogers testified before the U.S. US Senate Subcommittee of, on Communications, which was chaired by Democratic Senator John Pastor of Rhode Island. U.S. President Lyndon Johnson had proposed a two, uh, $20 million bill for the creation of PBS before he left office, but his successor, Richard Nixon, wanted to cut the funding by $10 million. Even though Rogers was not yet nationally known, he was chosen to testify because of his ability to make persuasive arguments and connect emotionally with his audience. The clip of Rogers' testimony, which is was televised and has since been viewed by millions of people on the internet, helped to secure the funding for PBS and for many years afterwards. According to King, Rogers' testimony is considered one of the most powerful pieces of testimony ever offered before Congress and one of the most powerful pieces of video presentation ever filmed. It brought Pastor to tears uh, and also, according to King, has been studied by public relations experts and academics. Congressional funding for PBS increased by $9 million <laughs> to $22 million. in 1970. Nixon appeared. Uh, oh, sorry, Nixon appointed Rogers as chair of the White House Conference on Children's and Youth on Children and Youth. Outstanding. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to write this time because I want to put that uh, speech that Mr. Rogers gives the senator right there, and he's just like, "You got your money." Yeah, so you gonna, just won. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna pause right here for a few seconds. Now, Mr. Rogers is certainly one of the best things that's ever happened to public television, and his Peabody Award is testament to that fact. We in public television are proud of Fred Rogers, and I'm proud to present Mr. Rogers to you now. All right, Rogers, you got the floor. <laughs> Senator Pastore, this is a philosophical statement and would take about 10 minutes to read, so I'll not do that. Oh. One of the first things that a child learns in a healthy family is trust. And I trust what you have said that you will read this. It's very important to me. I care deeply about children. My first children... Will it make you happy if you read it? I'd just like to talk about it, if all it's right, all right. Sir. Okay. My first children's program was on WQED 15 years ago and its budget was $30. Now, with the help of the Sears Roebuck Foundation and National Educational Television, as well as all of the affiliated stations, each station pays to show our program. It's a unique kind of funding in educational television. With this help, now our program has a budget of $6,000. It may sound like quite a difference, but $6,000 pays for less than two minutes of cartoons, two minutes of animated, what I sometimes say, bombardment. I'm very much concerned, as I know you are, about what's being delivered to our children in this country. And I've worked in the field of child development for six years now trying to understand the inner needs of children. We deal with such things as, as the inner drama of childhood. We don't have to bop somebody over the head to make him 
to, to make drama on the screen, we deal with such things as getting a haircut or the feelings about brothers and sisters and the kind of anger that arises in simple family situations. And we speak to it constructively. How long a program is it? It's a I'm half hour every day. Most channels schedule it in the, in the noontime as well as in the evening. Uh, WETA here has scheduled it in the late afternoon. Could we get a copy of this so that we can see it? Maybe not today, but I'd like to see the program. I'd like very much for you I'd to like see. I'd like to see the program itself, or any one of them, you see. We, we made a hundred programs for EEN, the Eastern Educational Network, and then when the money ran out, people in Boston and Pittsburgh and Chicago all came to the fore and said, we've got to have more of this neighborhood expression of care. And this is what, this is what I give. I give an expression of care every day to each child to help him realize that he is unique. I end the program by saying, You've made this day a special day by just your being you. There's no person in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. And I feel that if we in public television can only make it clear that feelings are mentionable and manageable, we will have done a great service for mental health. Uh, I think that it's much more dramatic that two men could be working out their feelings of anger, much more dramatic than showing something of gunfire. I'm constantly concerned about what our children are seeing. And for 15 years I have tried in this country and Canada to present what I feel is a meaningful expression of care. Do you narrate it? I'm the host, yes, and I do all the puppets, and I write all the music, and I write all the scripts. Well, I'm supposed to be a pretty tough guy, and this is the first time I've had goosebumps for the last two days. <laughs> well, I'm grateful, not only for your goosebumps, but for your interest in, in our kind of communication. Could I tell you the words of one of the songs which I feel is very important? Yes. This has to do with that good feeling of control, which I feel that the children need to know is there. And it starts out, what do you do with the mad that you feel? And that first line came straight from a child. I work with children do doing puppets in, in very personal communication with small groups. What do you do with the mad that you feel? When you feel so mad, you could bite when the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, 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 any time. And what a good feeling to feel like this and know that the feeling is really mine, 
Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can be someday a lady and a boy can be someday a man. I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. Looks like you just earned the $20 million. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there you have it. <laughs> you just what a humble man he was, you know. What oh, I mean? and, it, and he was always so well spoken. You know what I mean? It's, oh yeah. I, I don't think I ever heard him yell or anything. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean, so <laughs> I, I just love that he was so nice for twenty minutes that he basically just <laughs> yeah. he got ten million dollars. <laughs> I wish uh, I could do that. So no, Scott, I, I, yeah. got, I got one last tidbit. Uh, one last tidbit. Get it all out of the way. <laughs> we got it all, I got all out of the way. Deep. I just want to be Mr. Good. Rogers like putting a toe in an ocean, man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in 1978, while on hiatus, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, uh, Rogers wrote, produced, and hosted a 30-minute interview program for adults, what we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. called Old Friends, New Friends. It lasted only 20 episodes. Uh, Rogers' guests included... Uh, Wow, I'm gonna butcher all of these names. Hoagie Carmichael, Carmichael, yeah, Hoagie, uh, Ho J Carmichael. That's what I'm say. Helen Hayes, Milton Burley, Lauren Holander, poet Robert Frost's daughter Leslie, and Willie Stargell. See, I butchered it for you, Terrence. There you go. Oh, okay, we can go on to my second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Awkward silence is fun. I'm done. <laughs> He's done with his notes. Time to go on to my note sections. All right. Um, for me, we'll start off. Rogers gave scores of interviews. Though reluctant to appear on television talk shows, he would usually charm the host of his quick wit and ability to ad-lib on a moment's notice. Rob uh, Rogers was one of the country's most sought-after commencement speakers, making over 150 speeches. Um his friends and colleague, his friend and colleague David Noel, reported that Rogers would agonize over speech, and his, and King reported that Rogers was at his least guarded during his speeches, which are about children, television, education, and his general view of the world and how to make a world a better place, and his quest for self knowledge. Um, one of the things you might, um, if you get if you could dive deeper into his life and read maybe the um, the book, um, there is uh, one of the one of the books written about Fred Rogers called The Good Neighbor, written by his friend uh, Maxwell, uh, written by Maxwell King. Um, was about uh, starts with an Oprah with, with an interview with uh, Rogers on the Oprah show, and one of the things they directed immediately um, from his staff was that let's not have any sh- kids on this interview. We don't have any kids in the audience or anything like that. And um, Oprah was completely dismayed by that. I was like, he's a children entertainer. Of course, we have kids on the show, so she's just filled the entire audience of kids, completely <laughs> ignoring it. And uh, when Rogers came on, the interview went horribly. <laughs> <laughs> because um, Rogers was so like Rogers is so kid focused in all of his degree. Instead of focusing on any Oprah's questions, he was just he was just focused on every individual children, <laughs> making sure they were all you know doing well and being safe and all kind of stuff. So it's just kind of one of those aspects of Rogers' personal life. He's like he's always one hundred percent kid focused, and like you have to, in his staff would have to like you know direct kids away from him sometimes just to keep him on task, <laughs> which is just delightful to hear. You know, Rogers, you know, such an incredibly nice person. Um, in his personal life, Rogers met Sarah Joanne um, Bird, um, called Joanne, from Jacksonville, Florida, while attending Rollins College. They were married from 1952 until his death in 2003. Yeah. Um, they also had two sons, um, John and James. 
Uh, Rogers was uh, having to be red wing colorblind, like about, um, I believe, one in five male adults are uh, some form colorblind, and usually it's red green. Hmm. Um, he became a um, uh, pre. Uh, how, okay, here, go, Terrence. Let's see how well you do this word. Oh, my turn. He became a. Proscatarian. Uh, uh, Proscatarian in the 1970, after the death of his father. And um, he, he became a vegetarian in the early 1980s, saying he couldn't eat anything that had a mother. He became. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but just, just. You know, but also he was incredibly nice to other people about it, too. You could eat like a steak in front of him, he wouldn't mind at all. So did he not eat eggs? <laughs> no, he didn't. He didn't. He had a mother. He was just a terrific vegetarian. Just incredibly nice. Like, just. You know, I, I imagine like, it's just, you know, it's got to be so humbling and so at times maybe frustrating when you see how nice he is and then you feel like it's like, oh, you got to have one thing. <laughs> so, so, so in, ca- in case any, any of our listeners don't know, uh, Prescatarian is uh, you you don't partake in any meat, but fish is okay. Um, and then he upgraded from that fish being okay to just, you know, straight uh, vegetarian. See, that's knowledge to me now, too, because I had no idea what that word actually was. <laughs> now, Google is your Presbyterian. I thought, like, is that a religious thing? I don't feel bad. I feel bad. <laughs> okay. All right. So, yes. So, yes, he said he couldn't eat anything that had a mother. And in fact, he eventually became a co-owner of the um, Vegetarian Times in the mid-1980s. And said in one issue, I love tofu burgers and beets. So that's uh, one of the like most dominant figures of his food. Just you know, um, and uh, he said he told the vegetarians that he became a vegetarian for both ethical and health reasons. So you know, of course, you know there are you know vegetarians. Can I, can I just say that I, I find it no, just you highly Sorry. interesting. I'm going to anyway. Uh, <laughs> okay. I find it highly interesting that a lot of things that you know Roger stood for and was and just embodied are so many things people make fun of today and it's it's almost astounding i I just wanted to bring that up i found that shocking like even when i was rocking watching the documentary um i was like when when are they going to talk about they kind of talk about it at the end you know when they were talking about it this funeral and stuff and and you you see some of the uh uh, you know people who always want to you know speak out negatively against them but uh I, i just found it interesting that you know one of the most like wholesome you know iconic people um, yeah, it, it, all, of the, all of his qualities are all things that you know mm-hmm. a vast majority of people you know, would make fun of. There are a lot of ways I think you know. So you continue to dress in positive ways, but it is yeah. Also, like it is disheartening to see like so many things that Mister Rogers stood up for can now be uh, are now um, mocked by people who are being like woke or social justice warrior or any kind of yeah. other kind of like terminology like that of being too PC when it's just, like. This is just being kind at the end of the day at a very yeah. simple level. Um, and it, it can be disheartening to kind of see those kind of things. But also, like, it's nice to see that so many people were willing to take on those um, badges, basically, those, those, you know, those titles of mockery. And they're like, well, yes, I'm going to keep continuing to stand by these, um, these uh, you know, ethical standpoints. Um, moving on with the, um, the notes I have here. Um, Rogers also signed his name protesting wearing animal furs. Um, so I think, you know, the degree of like taking care of animals and also like anything, you know, of course, young children, all kind of things like too. like he cared for everything, you know, old, young people, including animals, you know, old, young and um, not wanting to see their um, materials wasted, you know, degree, you know, doesn't want to eat them, doesn't want to make coats out of them, doesn't want to make 
animals into products. They need to be taken care of and loved as, um, I'm sure, in a degree of his faith, as, like, you know, they're creations of God. They deserve to be treated with respect and humbleness as creatures with, you know, sentience to a degree. Um, so, I, you know, definitely kind of a, another interesting, another part of Mr. Rogers' life. Um, Rogers rarely spoke about his faith on air. He believed that teaching through example was as powerful as preaching. Um, he said he don't need to speak overtly about religion in order to get a message across. Um, that's a statement I think a lot of people find um, possibly agreeable. Sometimes not. I agree. Uh, you know, um, I think it's uh, um, okay for someone to be um, very overtly about their faith and what they believe, and I think that's really acceptable. And also at the same time, I, I also appreciate Mr. Rogers' um, more um, secular examples of what it means to be um, a man and a good person and uh, a productive member of society, and how nice you can be to everyone, and how you don't need to. Um, you know, source all your good nature to um, a religious kind of uh, a backdrop, I guess. Yeah. Um, but despite his strong faith, wrong, R- Rogers himself struggled with anger, conflict, and self-doubt, especially at the, towards the end of his life. Um, he also studied uh, Catholic mysticism, um, Judaism, and Buddhism, and other faiths and cultures. So clearly he had a very um, a wide open degree of his Christianity where he wanted to study other faiths and uh, belief systems and kind of incorporate um, what he kind of understood into his own faith and his own understanding and what he believed and uh, kind of grew as a person then. Um, like I said um, before earlier, it's like Rogers was first and foremost a learner and a teacher, not just an entertainer. And uh, this kind of like speaks to that kind of aspect of his life overall. Um, incredible, just overall. Just a whole lot of work goes into those kind of things and I really am impressed by it, you know, with everything in Mr. Rogers' life. <clears throat> Mr. Moving on, we have um, uh, King reported that Rogers' relationship with his young audience was important to him. For example, since hosting Mr. Rogers in Canada, he answered every letter sent to him by hand. After Mr. Rogers, yeah, yeah, by hand. I mean, that's that's no keep that's, reading. That's tens of thousands. No, but, he, he, gets, okay. he got help here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After Mr. Rogers' neighborhood began airing in the U.S., the letters increased in volume, and he hired staff members and producer Heidi um, Sherapan to answer them. But he read, edited, and signed each one. Wow. King wrote that Rogers saw responding to his viewers' letters as a pastoral duty of sorts. Um, I believe there's also kind of reports later on that also um, Joe Joanne would also. Um, um, well, especially early on, Joanne would also respond to a lot of those letters herself too, and have her and have uh, Roger sign off on them, kind of help write those kind of things. So that was clearly like both a a family effort and an effort in the staff to um, continually acknowledge all their fans when they sent letters to them, and uh, absolutely um, wonderful them them, and definitely made people feel special and uh, really. Once again, just you continually go down the list and just like you just keep finding accolades of accolades of like things Mr. Rogers did that are just uh, jaw dropping in terms of like kindness overall. Oh, you know, yeah. it, it really is kind of just an endless well of uh, Mr. Rogers' kindness and just like, it's like, did, what did this man not do? You don't know. <laughs> he did everything. Um, nearly every morning in his life, Rid- uh, Mr. Rogers has gone, Mr. Rogers went swimming. Um, Rogers began swimming when he was a child uh, at his family vacation home outside of. Betrobe, their own pool, and during the winter trips to Florida, King wrote that swimming and playing the piano were lifelong passions that both gave him a chance to feel capable and in charge of his destiny, and that swimming became an important part of the strong sense of selflessness that he cultivated. Rogers swam daily at the Pittsburgh Athletic Association after walking every morning between 4.30 and 5.30 a.m. Early bird, early riser, always impressed with that. <laughs> um, to pray and read the Bible. Um, he, knew that's right. he, he would pray and read the Bible and... and um, and uh, oh, sorry, I'm lost my hair here. And prepare himself for the day. Um, he did not smoke or drink. 
kind of obvious with the reason he didn't run that. He took excellent care of his body. And nothing to change his weight from 143 pounds he weighed. Um, the number 143 means I love you as it takes one letter to say I, four letters to say love, and three letters to say you. That's really cool. That's And he kept that weight his entire life or whatever. That is that is perhaps like, that was like the one detail I've read of his entire life that I'm like, that is really bizarre and weird. No, I love it. But that's also just like. But a, it can also be I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the 143 thing, that's something like. You like you tell a therapist about that, and then they quickly scribble something <laughs> in a notepad <laughs> and, and rip off two prescriptions. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, I was just there, there's a there's that meme where it's like the inverse of somebody, like the evil version of them, and it's just like Mister Rogers. Dark it Rogers. means I love you, Dark Rogers. I hate you. <laughs> I have to make that meme now. What's up? So goes live. <laughs> terrible that's terrible but yeah that, that one four three thing of uh, that's definitely uh, a very interesting and peculiar aspect of mr rogers so just like you know there's so many weird things you kind of learn about him but that's definitely what, like that was like the top of the thing i learned was like one four three is just, like that's incredibly impressive how do you manage the way like in the documentary is that like he weighed 143 pounds for like 20 something years yeah. consistently throughout his you know or like even like thirty, I don't know. He was something. He was insane. It's like, how do you do that? <laughs> Teach me your like ways. even at my best, I'm going. I'm gonna like you know bounce out one or two pounds every week. <laughs> no, least. it just keeps going up for us. <laughs> yeah, it keeps going up for me. But even at my like my best health, I was always going up and down a little bit. Like I'm always fluctuating. And Mr. Rogers is like, nope, one, four, three. That's what it always is. How? <laughs> uh, he's absolute madman. <laughs> Um, all right. Um, in October um, in 2002, he was sadly diagnosed with stomach cancer. He delayed treatment until after he served as a Grand Marshal at the 2003 Rose Parade with Art Linkletter and treatment until after he served as a... Oh, sorry. And and uh, and Bill Cosby in January. So it was Bill Cosby and Art Linkletter at the 2003 Rose Parade. On January 6th, Rogers underwent stomach surgery. He died less than two months later on February 27, 2003, one month before his 75th birthday in his home in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So that was unfortunately the end. I'm sorry. That was a quick, sorry. I didn't mean to give you like a, what's a whiplash there from the. Um, a, couple of, a couple of things I found uh, that um, your your notes are on top of mine here, uh, Terrence. Yeah. In 2018, they had a first class forever postage stamp issued by the U.S. Postal Service dedicated to him on March 23rd at WQED. And he won a Grammy Award posthumously in 2021 uh, by the Recording Academy for Best Historical Album for It's Such a Good Feeling, The Best of Mr. Rogers. Fred Rogers and Michael Graves, Mastering Engineers, Leela Goda and Cheryl Pawalski, Compiling Producers. So, Heck yeah. Um, he's got some museum exhibits. The Smithsonian Institution has a permanent collection. Uh, uh, Mr. Rogers donated one of his sweaters to the Smithsonian's in 1984. Uh, the Children's Museum of Pittsburgh, uh, they have a, uh, it was exhibited created by Rogers and FCI in 1998. It attracted hundreds of thousands of visitors over 10 years and included from Mr. Rogers' neighborhood one of his sweaters, a pair of his sneakers, original puppets from the program, and photographs of Rogers. The exhibit traveled to Children's Museum throughout the country for eight years until it was given to the Louisiana Children's Museum in New Orleans as a permanent exhibit to help them recover from Hurricane Katrina in 2005 and in, two, or in 2007 the Children's Museum of Pittsburgh created a traveling exhibit based on the factory tours featured in episodes of Mrs. Rogers and Abed. so not only that even after you know he sadly passed his he's still they're still using his 
memory as legacy to still further the cause. I think that's wonderful. Some could say the children he helped raise. That's true. Yep. Um, Mark Brown, the creator of another PBS children's show, Arthur, considered Rogers both a friend and a terrific role model for how to use television and the media to help to be helpful to kids and families. Um, Josh Selig, the creator of the Wonder Pets show, credits Rogers with influencing his use of structure and predictability and his use of music, opera, and originality. Rogers ins- also inspired Angela um, Santomera, co-creator of the children's television show Blue's Clues, to earn a degree in developmental psychology and go into education itself. Um, educational television, sorry. <laughs> um, got some choice quotes here, which Jim has helpfully uh, marked out for me right here. Um, Fred Rogers says, When I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, Look for the helpers. You always find people who are helping. To this day, especially in times of disaster, I remember my mother's words, and I am always comforted by realizing there are still so many helpers, so many people caring, um, caring people in the world. Um... That's a terrific quote. <laughs> um, that's, that's also like and that's, just, that's Reg Rogers quoting his mom. <laughs> what kind of a mother was she? I mean, we already talked about how she helped the you know knit sweaters. She made Fred Rogers stuff. She knit she was sweaters playing. and stuff for the army, and then now she's giving him quotes like this. You know what I mean? Yeah, practically a, you know a saint in all its positive connotations. Um, this here and the next quote here: Whenever a great tragedy strikes, war, famine, mass shootings, or even an outbreak of a populist rage, uh, millions of people turn to Fred's matches about life. Then the web is filled with his words and images. With fascinating frequency, his written messages and video clips surge across the internet, reaching hundreds of thousands of people who, confronted with the tough issues or ominous development, open themselves up to Rogers' messages of quiet contemplation, of simplicity, of active listening, and the practice of human kindness. And uh, that was uh, that was quoted by Rogers' um, biographer Maxwell King. So, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so here in one of the closing things I'll say is that uh, in Pittsburgh, uh, there are several pieces of art that's dedicated to Mr. Rogers throughout the including a 7,000-pound, 11-foot-high bronze statue of him in the North Shore neighborhood. <laughs> Can you imagine wow. driving up and seeing that? Um, also, a statue of a dinosaur titled Fredosaurus Rex Friday the 13th, originally stood in front of the WQED building, and as of 2014, stands in front of the building that contains the Fred Rogers Company offices. There is a Mr. Rogers neighborhood of make-believe in Idlewood Park and is a kiosk of Mr. Rogers neighborhood artifacts at Pittsburgh International Airport. The Carnegie Science Center's Miniature Railroad and Village debuted a miniature recreation of Rogers House from Mr. Rogers neighborhood in 2005. And as uh, Terrence uh, touched on earlier, uh, there was over, uh, has over 43 degrees, uh, 43 honorary degrees from colleges. Yeah, um, going so up, many. Yeah, <laughs> just like one last fact about the overall film, the overall documentary itself. In 2018, Won't You Be Your Neighbor? Um, director Morgan Nell's documentary about Robert's life grossed over 22 million dollars and became the top-grossing biological, biographical documentary ever produced, the highest-grossing documentary in five years, and the 12th largest-grossing documentary ever produced. Um, the 2019 drama film uh, *Beautiful Day* never tells stories of Rogers and his television series with Tom Hanks portraying Rogers. Oh okay. yeah. Do you remember, this is some other stuff I found real quick. Do you remember that in the, uh, the documentary where he goes meets uh, Coco the gorilla? Yes. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it shows yeah. Coco removing Mr. Rogers' shoes. It does not explain the story behind the gorilla's actions. After Coco's death in June 2018, multiple obituaries for the gorilla explained that Coco faithfully watched Mr. Rogers' show every single day. And during their encounter, she removed his shoes because she was used to seeing him do that the same at the start of every episode. Yeah. How sweet is that? Um, 
The film's trailer was released online on what would have been Roger's 90th birthday. Uh, the film was released a few months after the 50th anniversary of the debut of Mr. Roger's Neighborhood. At the end of this uh, documentary, there is a dedication to Marsha Neville as Marsha Pierre Neville. She was director Morgan Neville's mother. She died during the making of the documentary. And the documentary covers how Fred Rogers saved public television, which we've put in the audio for that. So, uh, Kyle, give me your thoughts on Fred Rogers while we wrap this up. Thoughts on Fred Rogers? <laughs> Just, what can yeah. you say, right? I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what can we say? We already said, like, he was an amazing person. Um, it's, th- there's a very few, like, handful of people who kind of in my mind could have almost lived forever and continued to be amazing people throughout, you know, an entire millennia, basically, in my own mind. And, like, Fred Rogers is, like, one of those few people who, like, you know, if he lived to be, a, if he lived to be 100, 200, 300, he would always continue to be a person worthwhile to meet and learn about and um, understand his kindness and philosophy. And that's who I kind of, I hold him in that kind of high regard, where just, like, his influence um, should never be dismissed throughout oh, yeah. pretty much all time of humanity. And I think that's kind of like the highest uh, compliment I could possibly give him. Um, so I absolutely love Fred Rogers to death. Um, amazing person. Uh, truly an example of uh, what a man can be nowadays and what a man should be in the future and um, uh, and people in general, how kind he can be. So um, overall, just an absolute um, amazing person. <laughs> There's nothing much more to have. Um, Terrence, how do you feel about Fred Rogers? <laughs> Everything you said. Uh, <laughs> Ditto. I think we okay, should just Jim put a... <laughs> yeah, right. Just, just, you know, we'll, we'll just edit and replay uh, uh, hit your Kyle's. all over again. We'll, just, uh, we'll turn the um, notches up a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Um, I'll just all of that, like, honestly, there's, uh, there's nothing more I could say. But what I can say is, uh, on this documentary in particular, um, it's... It's a nice snippet that if you didn't know any of this information, it's really cool to know uh, that, you know, not only was he a wholesome person on screen, but also off screen. Because uh, there, there's many times where, you know, people appear to be kind and then not be. Uh, yeah. Or people immediately turn out to be like two-faced. Yeah, or like, exactly. You know, like, uh, you know. And that, that's common. Um, but he, he, he was always himself. Uh, in one way, shape, or form, um, and that—that's uh, that's that's pretty big. Uh, yeah, an absolute rarity. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So yeah, that's, there's no more, much more I can say on that. Yeah, I just think he was just—he was just genuine. If I th- if I say Fred Rogers, yeah. genuine comes to my mind. What you saw is what you got, um, and I believe he tried to treat everybody equally, um, as you can tell by the documentary. And I think he genuinely just had a heart for kids. You know, there was nothing weird about him. You know, he just wanted to help kids and help give parents the tools to teach their kids. It's okay for these other situations. You ain't got to be scared. You know, we're just all in this together and all that. Yeah, no skeletons in the closet, no, basically. Yeah, no. like, just be honest like and truthful you know, with the kids. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and, and I'd say, like, even then, like, even then, like, I feel like it's worth mentioning. Like, I still also seem like. He was very distinctly just a human person. He wasn't flawless. He wasn't perfect. He was just an incredible person. Like right. he was yeah, close absolutely. to those areas of being almost flawless and perfect. But like he still was a regular person at the end of the day. And that's something that's it's hard to it's hard to even see him as a regular person when you hear all the amazing things he did. But it's um, truly just awesome. Right. You know? And I think in honor of Fred Rogers, that we're not going to close this out like we usually do. I think we're going to let Mister Rogers take us out of this episode by singing the song. 
uh, that this title is the Won't You Be My Neighbor song. I think we'll just go ahead and play that as an extra here. So until next time, here's Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you, so let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> 